thank you everyone for coming out. I thank you everyone for coming out. This is a very important conversation we're going to have. Unfortunately, it's an important conversation, and I believe I may be the youngest one in this room by about two years, but something tells me this was a conversation many of you thought you wouldn't need to have. This, but I want to start off somewhere else. A different town, a different time, a different era, when they were also feeling a sense of instability and insecurity. I think these two words, instability and insecurity, really describe the feeling of the Jews of Shushan. Of Shushan. Purim's coming. And not when Haman was alive and the edict went out to, to kill all the Jews. I want to argue that even after Haman was killed and the Jewish people emerged quote-unquote victorious, vanquished the enemy, they still had a persistent feeling, an undercurrent of instability and insecurity. Deep insecurity. Because think about it for a moment. Ahasuerus was a man of changing moods, of mercurial nature. With his capricious approach to life, he killed his beautiful queen at the suggestion of Mamuchan, who the Gemara says was Haman, only then to turn around and to, kill, and to have Mamuchan killed at the suggestion of his new beautiful wife. He was clearly an unstable person, and which means no one in Shushan could be confident that the next day they'll wake up and he'll say, Oh Mordechai, who I say you should be now your Mishnah Lamelech, second to the king, I'm going to get rid of you and appoint a new Haman. There was a sense of insecurity to the extent that the miracle was incomplete. There was salvation, but there was no redemption. So much so, the Talmud tells us that on all the other holidays, what do we do in Shul after Shmon Esrei? We say Hallel. We sing praises to God. The Gemara says there's no Hallel on Purim. Isn't that quite perplexing? We don't praise God saying Hallel on Purim. Why? And one of the reasons the Gemara tells us is Akati Avde Achashverosh Anan. Because we were still under the rulership of Achashverosh. Meaning to say, we weren't totally free. We didn't have full salvation. Who knows what tomorrow can bring? Instability, insecurity, a constant undercurrent. Which I think begs the obvious question. What then is the message of Purim? If the miracle wasn't complete, what exactly are we celebrating? There's happiness, yet unease, an undercurrent of uncertainty. Rabbi Soloveitchik has an amazing insight, and he says he thinks this is precisely the reason why Purim is the most important of holidays and the most relevant of holidays. Because Purim is supposed to serve as the archetype for navigating the experience of exile, for navigating the reality that throughout the ages, there will always be anti-Semitism. We are destined to encounter anti-Semitism. It's part of our story as a nation, living without a home, living in exile. It's uncomfortable, it could be scary, and it raises so many questions and so many unknowns. And we keep on asking ourselves, is it because of the politics? Is it because of the left? Is it because of the right? Is it because of the rise of social media? How can we safely live our lives with a sense of nor normalcy and freedom? How can we find the balance between security concerns and open environment? We want our show to be open to everyone. We want to ensure that bad actors don't get in. How do we balance that? There are a lot of questions which I certainly don't have the answers for. And I think for many of them, no one really seems to have the right answers for. But there's one thing that I'm sure of. 
one thing I do have an answer for. Of all the unknowns, the one thing I know is that there is no rational reason for the irrational. While we are not and should not as individuals and and as a community or a nation state be absolved from legitimate criticisms, there is nothing that we or other Jews do that can justify anti-Semitism. I want to repeat that. We're not absolved from criticisms. We could criticize us as a people, our government, even the state of Israel, when it warrants criticism. But there's nothing that we can do or the state of Israel can do that justifies anti-Semitism. There is nothing that we believe or that the state of Israel stands for that validates anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is irrational. A belief that belies reason. Rabbi Sachs put it best in a number of his works and he writes as follows. Anti-Semitism is not an ideology, a a coherent set of beliefs. It is, in fact, an endless stream of contradictions. The best way of understanding it is to see it as a virus. Viruses attack the human body, but the body itself has an immensely sophisticated defense, the human immune system. How, then, do viruses survive and flourish? By mutating. Anti-Semitism mutates, and in doing so, defeats the immune system set up by cultures to protect, them, protect themselves against hatred. Historically, anti-Semitism has been hard to define because it expressed itself in such contradictory ways. Before the Holocaust, Jews were hated because they were poor and because they were rich, because they were communists and because they were capitalists, because they kept to themselves and because they infiltrated everywhere, because they clung to an ancient religious belief and because they were a rootless cosmopolitans who believed nothing. We cannot ascribe rational for the rationality. In fact, the word Purim comes from the word he pulled poor, a lottery. And I think, in a way, it makes so much sense. What is a lottery? It's the ultimate arbitrariness. Either you win or you don't. It's totally arbitrary. There's no rhyme or reason. And what the message of Purim is he pulled pull. It's about a lottery. There is no rational reason for the Purim story that Haman should hate the Jews. We cannot ascribe rational for the rational. There's no amount of appeasement that we can do no behavior of any one Jew or group of people that can possibly justify or give rationale or a legitimate reason for anti-Semitism. Because anti-Semitism ultimately is pure evil and irrational. So where does that leave us? In a few moments we'll talk about ways we can combat anti-Semitism, ways we can try to advocate for ourselves, advocate for our people. But I think, at least for ourselves, from a perspective of the rabbi speaking here, we have a decision we must make. Writes Rabbi Sachs as follows. European Jews in the 19th and early 20th century made one of the most tragic mistakes in history. They said as follows. Jews cause anti-Semitism. Therefore, they can cure it. They did everything possible. They said people hate us because we are different, so we will stop being different. They gave up item after item of Judaism. They integrated. They assimilated. They married out. They hid their identity. You know what? They failed to diminish anti-Semitism by one iota. All it did was debilitate and demoralize Jews. If it is illogical, then what is our eternal response? Beyond, of course, fighting it, building alliances and bridges, which we'll speak about in a few moments. Our responsibility is to do what we are supposed to do. To have Jewish pride to continue to follow the Torah, 
to be proud of it because it's the right thing to do. Not because following the Torah or quoting certain things will make us others love us or hate us. Not because it will cause us to be accepted or rejected. It might or it might not. But that is not our concern. We don't apologize for what we believe to be true, what we believe to be good, and what we believe to be meaningful. When we associate ourselves with a particular cause, it might be a reason for alienation or it might be a reason for acceptance. Again, that is not our concern. We do what is right. It worries us, of course, from a, from a safety and tolerance perspective. But the concern is not, are we going to be rejected or embraced? Purim, the story of salvation amidst Gullus, amidst exile, teaches us that we need to learn to stand up and be proud, never to assimilate or water down our Torah, because then perhaps they will accept us. The other, the anti-Semite, will never accept us. There is a very puzzling Gemara. The Talmud tells us, and I'm not going to get into the details of this Gemara, that on Purim, Kimu Mashakiblu Kfar, that on Purim, although we all know at Mount Sinai we accepted the Torah, we, the Jewish people, re-accepted the Torah in the days of Mordechai and Esther, during the Purim story. We re-accepted the Torah. Now, why would we re-accept the Torah? So, the Gemara talks about the initial acceptance of what, why we'd have to redo it. But I think perhaps there was another reason why we needed to reaccept the Torah. And that was, this was our response to the anti-Semite. Intuitively, we wanted to hide, to blend in, to blur the differences, to dull the distinctions. We wanted to say to them, why do you hate us? We are like you. We have your goals in mind. We march for what you march for. We advocate for what you advocate for. We have dreamed for what our societies can look like the same way you have the same dreams. We are your partners. You know what Esther said? No. Even if I am fully capable of blending in and hiding my identity, which she did, ultimately, Kimu Vakiblu, I'm going to reaccept, redouble my commitment to the Torah, to the Word of God, and be proud of my heritage. For us to be proud of our heritage and to firmly believe that the Torah provides us with a roadmap for living a moral, decent and meaningful life and through living the life of the Torah we're doing what we are what is right we're doing what is good to still maintain that sense of Jewish pride of course we're worried and concerned and we're going to talk about that we take what we need to do to mitigate risk but internally we have to maintain that sense of Jewish pride Purim provides a paradigm for navigating our lives with this pernicious virus of anti-semitism not capitulating in our values, but rather clinging even more firmly to God. And then, when we do that, we can say, as we have said throughout history, and I want to put this in context, what we're going through now is not as bad as that has been historically. But we can take this, as long as, along with everything else, the dark odyssey of our history, and we can say, as we say it after the Megillah, God, you have always been our deliverance, You've been our hope in every generation. Part 2.